What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Bitcoin! Hello everyone and welcome back to On The Ledger. This is your host Moel Sayed, back once again on your weekly rendezvous from Paris. Today we've got Robin Schmidt back on the show. If you don't know who Robin is, well, it simply means that you're missing out on the coolest crypto content out there. Robin is a creative filmmaker and a gifted storyteller. He's been producing crypto films in his own unique and absolutely enthralling way for years now and is currently the head of video and multimedia The Defiant, where he covers the latest DeFi and NFT innovations. Last but not least, he's also the man behind Ledger's YouTube show, School of Block, that I'm glad to be producing with him. Robin, welcome back on The Ledger. How are you doing, man? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. It's, it's an absolute pleasure to be here talking about something that I know both you and I are really passionate about and excited to kind of share with the rest of the world because it's a rabbit hole that you, you escape from with great difficulty, I think. So to those of you who don't know, Robin and I actually did a first podcast a few months ago, which was the beginning of a series of creative reflections that we intend to produce whenever something's worth it. And as you've probably guessed, we got a pretty fascinating project to discuss today. That project is Lost Poets by the one and only Puck. So here is an original poem because some ideas can only be expressed in film. Isn't that poetic? Robin actually went deep down Puck's rabbit hole, as he said, and produced three Netflix-worthy investigative films with a touch of sci-fi, pop culture, and art criticism. So hang on, because today, today, he'll be walking us through his pack journey. Robin, are you ready, my friend? I am so ready. Let's do this. From Paris, this is On The Ledger, Season 2, Episode 4, Robin, Pack, and The Lost Poets. Here we go. So, Robin... As we usually do, we're going to start with our not-so-stupid questions. So how would you explain in a few simple sentences Lost Poets to someone who hasn't heard of it? So Lost Poets is an NFT project that has a timeline. So you buy an NFT and then you're confronted with a series of decisions to make about that NFT that will lead you in a number of different ways. But that is entirely in your hands. So it has a strategy element to it. And it's meant to play out over the course of a year. I mean, most NFTs are kind of buy, and then the roadmap evolves, evolves over time. This is an NFT where the roadmap has been extremely carefully planned by the creator, Puck. And we're all participants in this magical, mystical journey into something whose destination we don't know, but we know for sure that we're going to be entertained along the way. So that makes it quite different from, from other NFT projects that people might have encountered because the, the level of depth here is really fantastic. It is. And how it differs from other PFP projects is that level of depth, uh, although it also, could also be used as a PFP, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, PFP, if anyone doesn't know, stands for Profile Picture and Bored Apes, CryptoPunks. These are the ones that people associate with that. It's a JPEG, essentially, that you can use as your identity. And because it's unique and verifiable on chain, it can only belong to you. And that means that it can be it can become irrevocably tied to you as an individual. And you might be anonymous, you might not, but it doesn't matter. And it also represents some kind of social signaling. It tells people that you're part of a tribe, that you're, in a sense, culturally woke, or you're aligned with the philosophies of a certain project. Puck is very unusual because 
Puck has up to this point been a singular artist, someone producing work of great beauty and great technical skill that has been sold at massive auction houses. But that is someone creating and then you purchase. With Lost Poets, it's much more of a communal experience. It feels like a PFP in the sense that people represent themselves with these bizarre looking images, but they also represent themselves as being culturally woke in the sense that they volunteered to be part of this experience because they value it. And there's a lot of talk about NFT art having value. And we've seen it with, with art blocks that generative art is a growth category that people understand to be something of importance to the 21st century and to art history in general. But this is, I guess, where Park is coming because there's there's one step further, which is participation over time. Whereas art blocks, you participate in the moment of creation. With Lost Poets, you participate continuously. And it plays out in a number of different ways. But that very much marks Lost Poets as one of the most advanced or progressive NFT PFP executions that we've ever seen. Yeah, definitely. And I actually remember quite well the day of the drop. Uh, both of us were in a meeting. Uh, and it's fair to say that none of us expected this. Uh, fast forward a week, you told me you were about to make not one, not two, but three films about it. What made you do that? What changed your mind? What was like that light bulb moment where you said, okay, this is something different? Well, you've re you very kindly missed out an important piece of that conversation, which was you said, are you doing the pack drop? And I said, no, I don't <laughs> like the work. I don't like the work. And I, I didn't. And I didn't do the drop and I didn't like the work. So what persuaded me that there was something here that I should be taking notice of? Well, it's a couple of things. One of them was actually you and your enthusiasm for it, because I mean, I respect your opinion, but I also was like, well, if Mo's interested in this, what am I missing? Second part was I'm fortunate enough to be part of a DAO called Gremlins, which is made up of some of the most kind of prominent names in this space. We're talking Pranksy and 888 and Jimmy. And this group is wild for Park, beyond wild. The person that bought the Pixel is also a member of that group. So I was connected to and in conversation with people who've been Puck supporters and Puck collectors from the very beginning of this journey. And they love Puck. It's, it's not love as in loving your football team or loving bored apes. This is a very different level of engagement and excitement because these are sophisticated collectors and people who you know really stand by the investments and the purchases that they make that was a big prompt to me to get beyond my own personal biases and and take a proper look i also think there was a reason that it felt almost impossible for me to go down as deep as i might need to to tell the story properly because i think one of the things that i hope people get out of the word that we put out on the defined and and with School of Block as well, that we, we don't just do the easy headline and we don't just copy paste from Coindesk or wherever. We actually do the homework. Park, as I discovered, is a subject that requires an exhaustive level of research and, and understanding to really to form what I hope is some kind of considered opinion. Mm. And that's why I ended up doing three films, because as I started investigating this and going into what was there, I realized that there was a very deep extended journey that was required to, to understand or at least 
be grounded in what Puck was attempting to do with Lost Poets. And and that's why, you know, the film we made is is an hour and a half long. And it probably it doesn't go deep enough in some respects. Yeah, and I want to take a step back here and maybe provide some sort of an overview to the listeners who don't know much about Puck. Um, maybe you can give us like a quick overview about Puck and why The Lost Poets is quite disruptive um, when compared to what he's been doing before. And there was some sort of a transition there. And you, you actually pointed it out quite well in the movie, but I just want to give the listeners a quick overview of, of that. Well, there are a few artists in the space that represent the journey of the space because they've evolved with it. I would point out Trevor Jones in that. Um, Trevor's someone who comes, comes from the traditional art world and was always merging technology into what he did. He did paintings of QR codes, and he came from that background. Puck was a motion graphics designer, but also a coder and a developer. And it's very rare that you see those skills in the same person. And so what people's introduction to Puck would most likely have been was as one of you know the prominent NFT artists. So producing works that you could buy in different editions, either a Nifty Gateway, so there might be an edition of five or a one of one. And there was a lot of artists that were doing that. And that's absolutely fine and you know that promoted the space and promoted crypto art as a category that's sort of what we'd been accustomed to seeing from park and it began to take on a sheen of um the absurd and satire as the you know this year went on so the, instead of it just being well here's a beautiful piece it started becoming well here's a beautiful piece with a message that's going mm. to challenge you and make you think and make you look at yourself and don't ask the question, well, why on earth am I buying this? So it started to become much more of a, a challenge to collectors and owners. And there was a lot of commentary about the space and about the stupidity of the space, uh, which then kind of came to a head with the Pixel, which was part of the fungible collection, which went on sale at Sotheby's. And the Pixel is just a, it's just a pixel. It's one gray pixel, 50% black, 50% white. And it went for over a million dollars, $1.4 million. That's insane. Fact. A single pixel. And now we just have to just, you know, take a, a moment just to contextualize this because it's not like artists being confrontational and provocative is anything new because it's not. I mean, that's was one of the hallmarks of the great 20th century art movement is the ability to completely challenge art criticism and what we believed art was, you know, Duchamp, uh, Warhol, it's just that no one had dared do it in this space, at least not in this way. But as you discover with Park, there is a very clear and very well-reasoned argument behind everything that they do. And if you take the time to discover it, you just go, holy crap, this is, this is really amazing. Yeah, it feels like it's a, it's a rabbit hole and a constant mind game that's happening. And what's fascinating about Lost Poets um, and Park's provocative approach to it is how much it addresses and somewhat denounces how collectors approach NFTs. Always looking for the rarity game, uh, what is the rarest asset that you can get out there and flip. Um, and I think uh, that with Lost Poets, you just can't figure that out. Um, maybe you can also set the table by explaining how it functions and how it started and how it's evolving at the moment. Well, it yeah, th there's... There's a lot of work that you have to do to understand the evolution of Puck, the artist. And 
it it goes from things like you know if you if you did a drop on nifty gateway earlier in the year and nifty gateway was kind of the place where the big prestige artists congregated for a while what happened was you had a one of one and that was the prestige piece and that was going to be the one that went for you know five six figures then you had you know an edition of five or an open edition so artists were being required to create tiers of um assets of tiers of content and of course in your mind you're thinking well you know the one of one is my best work and then the addition of five is slightly less good work and then the addition of you know 50 is is like it's sort of mediocre if you're an artist that's completely absurd like every artist wants to be producing their best work they don't want to deliberately cripple their output just to satisfy the marketing and i think that's what pack had begun to really push against so pack released a, a collection called the title and the title was I, think, I can't remember how many of it was but every single piece <clears throat> in that collection looked identical but they just had different names and they would price differently so there, there was one that was called the unsold which was priced at a million dollars and nobody bought it and there it was just playing with this idea that what something is called could have a material bearing on how much it's worth which is of course completely absurd but if, but then when it played out at the, at the sale people it did exactly what park was expecting them to do the fungible took that one further and started playing with ideas of you know who's buying why are they buying uh where are they buying how are they getting to the art and park was starting to play with things adding puzzle elements into the pieces and that's where you know when you saw the pixel it was just like this inflection point where everything that was dumb and stupid about um nfts could be boiled down to this single profound statement the pixel that's just like everything that's that is insane and stupid and pointless about crypto art can be just reduced so it's almost reducing the impact of the artist and re in reducing the relevance of the artist because there is simply no art required to deliver a pixel that is 50% white and 50% gray. And yet it required an absolutely stunning level of artistry to have the chutzpah to actually do that in the first place. That pixel, as I discovered through my kind of in deep investigations into Puck, was, I guess, the end of an act in the evolution of Puck the Artist because it, as I discovered, the Puck had been obsessed with singularities and with this idea of infinite density since you know 10 years ago and there was constant references to that through puck's tweets and what it suddenly occurred to me was that this pixel was a singularity it was a point of infinite density and a, a singularity is the the starting point of the big bang an emergence into a brand new universe and so when you look at lost poets you can kind of see it as a completely new universe being built in puck's artistic evolution and that's why it's so fascinating so so the way it works is you you in the sale purchased pages and pages were these gray squares that looked very similar to the pixel and they had some texturing on them that felt a little bit like um the texture you might find on a renaissance painting it, it, it wasn't just a clean graphic surface so those pixels were eip 1559s so they were um individually identical mm -hmm. ERC. and you would be 
yeah so and so and yes sorry i'm I'm mixing up my eips it's, it's, been, right. one, it's been one of those days <laughs> it's been one of those days of jumping between different projects but the the there are different nft standards and this is the nft standard that allows you to produce multiple copies of the same thing and these pages were all identical so everyone was buying the same page i think they were for 0.32 e so not the cheapest nfts in the book uh, and there were different ways that you could uh, access this if you owned ash which is puck's uh, own currency that you can earn by burning packs art which is pretty profound we should probably come back to that at some point uh, you could get more of these things and then and people grab them got on a leaderboard and they would be given an origin nft now these origin nfts are black and white um parents i guess of lost poets the the lost poets themselves are created by burning pages so you take a page you offer it up to the gods and then what comes back is a lost poet. And a lost poet is a GAN-generated uh, digital artwork that is kind of created at random and is everyone is an in, individual and unique and created from a series of images that have been fed to the algorithm, uh, to the AI. And it will spit out an image that can look very human, but it can also look completely abstract and it can also look extremely unsettling and weird. Mm -hmm. But that's what GAN processed imaging does it it blends and merges uh a, a set of images together to create something else and these lost poets are the um output of that algorithm and so from there you can then go into a journey of well what is the rarity that's built into my lost poet where what is the origin where does it come from uh and what meaning can be derived from inside this lost poet and you can see all this in the attributes of the, of the poet itself but then on top of that poets can be fed pages so any pages that weren't turned into lost poets can then be used to um, alter and evolve the lost poets over time uh, in ways that haven't been entirely made clear yet but it's all built around this idea of language and the uh, story of the library of babel from uh, Borges, we can go into all of that. But I, am, I, am, I, am I doing a good job? You're the doing a, a great job. It's not an easy project to explain, not at all. Um, and yeah, like all, all these poets actually emanate from the origin poets that you mentioned. And it was actually quite surprising at the beginning, the day of the mint, when I looked at the supply and it was 65,000. No one actually knew why there were 65,000 pages that you could mint. And comparing to other supplies of NFT collections, which were, you know, capped at a maximum of 20,000, I think the average is around 10,000. This was kind of surprising. And when you actually made the calculation of the price of each page, uh, you know, multiplied by the overall supply, I think it was $70 million uh, that were uh, actually, you know, worth of pages that were minted in less than 90 minutes. Yeah, it, uh, and, and people reference Beeple's sale, which was $69 million. And that was a single collector that, that put up that much money. Uh, Park sold these, as you rightly said, for $70 million. It was the biggest kind of... Uh, instance of value creation in the nft space of its type it's crazy and those numbers were not random either you you talked about there being sixty five thousand of them there there's actually a bunch of meaning uh, around computing and software it, it was sixty five thousand five hundred and thirty six, and there's just one of these weird things that's exactly the maximum character limit for one message in whatsapp 
It's the exact number of characters in the original Unicode, which is the standard for consistent encoding representation and handling of text expressed in most of the world's writing systems. And text and language are like this big recurring theme in Lost Poets. Um, is it worth talking about the Lost Poets story, the, the, the Tower of Babel story itself? Yeah, sure. Go on. It's a very interesting one. So the, so the Tower of Babel is a story about a, a library in which is contained every instance of possible pages of all the characters in the alphabet. And it, it's a metaphor for the absurdity of infinite expression and how if you have an infinite library and infinite possible combinations of letters and words, somewhere in that library, you will have the perfect copy of Hamlet you'll have the perfect copy of War and Peace. It'll be in there somewhere. You just have to be able to find it. And so for anyone surfing that library, there is both overwhelming possibility because you might find a gem in there that no one else has discovered. They might find this incredible masterpiece. But there's also overwhelming possibility in the sense that there is so much to go through and most of it is gibberish that you, it might drive you mad. But it also, it's just this kind of overbearing impossibility of, of discovery. And so it's kind of reflecting the, um, the process of being creative. That I, I seem to remember, I forget which sculpture it was, but they said, you know, when you start with a block of stone, it's actually very, very simple. All you have to do is cut away everything that isn't the sculpture. And that's this beautiful way of looking at creativity. It's fascinating. Not, uh, not necessarily um, a process of, invention but a process of discovery and so that's that's sort of where the the, the library of babel comes from and um where i ended up going was was kind of digging deep into this idea that imagination creative endeavor and thinking for yourself were absolutely essential ingredients in the pack verse that when we saw these satirical critical collections come out that were as you said denouncing people's stupidity and irrational FOMO, it felt like Puck was coming from a position of superiority and authority. But what has actually happened is with Lost Poets, we've seen a transition from Puck, the professor or the pulpit preacher, to, to Puck kind of just being a schoolmaster, someone that's with you along the way and actually wants to see you succeed rather than than make fun of you or mock you or you know criticize you for for FOMO. That there's a very different tone to everything. It's it's Puck is tweeting more about we and about community. And the the weird conclusion I, I came to is that there were these two distinct moments or executions of Puck. Because it's very hard to talk of Puck as a person or an artist. You kind of have to talk of Puck as just Puck. But Puck the artist that was doing these big drops on, you know, in Sotheby's or Nifty Gateway, that was in the past. And that Puck now was an art movement or, an, uh, you know, an, a, a point in time where everyone was invited. And, and I came to the conclusion that what Puck had done was in fact decentralize themselves and that they'd spread the Puck universe and idea to the, to the winds and to the stars. It was bizarre. I, I was not expecting to end up coming to that kind of conclusion. I think that's actually transitions perfectly to the question I wanted to ask you, which you partly answered. But as someone, you know, personally, I've been a fan of Puck for a while now. And I actually learned a lot watching the films. 
Um, and the fact that you're mentioning decentralization is super interesting because my question was, in your own opinion, how do you think uh, Puck is able to always and constantly be 10 steps ahead, constantly be everywhere and always, you know, putting on, you know, um, leaving hints and breadcrumbs, as you've called them in your movie and Easter eggs all over the place for people to follow and, and kind of figure out what the overall, you know, image is. How do you think he's able to do that? But I'm calling a he, but he's not a he, he's he, she, they are able yeah, you, to do you that. You trip up over the pronoun all the time. Yeah. I, I, had it, I had it myself. Like, I was always tripping up over the pronoun. Okay, so there, there are some clues in here. Lost Poets is broken down into acts. So there's an act one, an act two, an act three, an act four, uh, and so on and so on. And the last act is called The Twist. This is movie language. So we're, we're dealing with a cinematic experience or something that's akin to a cinematic experience. And this is, you know, giving art ownership and art collection a timeline. And that's, it turns it into a piece of immersive theater. There is clearly been some, a spine of thought sitting in the middle of Puck's work for the longest time. And that, that's about AI, it's about um, technology, it's about singularities, it's about um, interrogating the birth and genesis of ownership of, of you know, what art can be or should be or could be. And you, know, you look at the work and it, it, it seems to be derived from um, inspirations of physics. One of the uh, comparisons I drew is with the Cassini missions. If you looked at the tonality of the images, the kind of silver tone monochrome, they look exactly like the images that the Cassini satellite was sending back from its mission to Saturn, identical. So there's clearly some obsessions there. What's interesting is that that hasn't wavered over the last 10 years. So the kind of controlling ideas and the controlling obsession, because I think when artists land on something they're obsessed with, it can fuel their creative endeavors for a very long time. You know, we see that in Picasso's different phases of uh, output. I mean, Picasso painted an extraordinary amount of work, but you can very clearly see that there were obsessions that that, that drove him forward through the different phases of his work. Pack has clearly been in that, in that process. When I write a script for a film, I don't write it in a linear fashion. I don't just start at the beginning and finish at the end. It's always in pieces and I find a bit here and then I go back and rewrite. And you're constantly rewriting and you're constantly going back constantly going back it's tempting to think that park is 10 steps ahead because they're so able to go back and cherry pick pieces of their twitter account that make sense and that plug into what they're saying but it, there's a ton of stuff in Twi pack's twitter account that doesn't tie into anything it's just that when park retweets it park is cherry picking the bits that make sense and that's not to, to say that the Puck isn't 10 steps ahead. It's more that Puck is able to create this, this feeling of being very much in control of the narrative by virtue of the fact that, A, nobody else does that, and B, the, the groundwork has already been laid. So in a sense, they can say, okay, well, I tweeted this, and I tweeted this, and this was all relevant, and now I can fold that into this narrative and make people feel like it's all part of the thing. And that's, that's a very beautiful skill i've never seen it play out like this before but it if you talk to people that write screenplays they it's all about setups and payoffs right mm -hmm. you have you set up an idea in act one and then you pay it off in act three 
you know, Luke, I am your father at the end of Star Wars, at the end of Empire Strikes Back. That was set up right, you know, from the start. Three hours earlier, three yeah. hours earlier in, in Star Wars. So the, these things are, you're able to retrofit them as you're going along. So I had to give Pack a lot of credit, but at the same time, it's very easy to um, it's very easy to start tying those those threads together. Um, I obviously have to be a skilled narrator and a skilled um, architect of your of your adventure, but at the same time, um, it's once you have those pieces in play, it's very easy to kind of direct people the way you want them to because they're kind of expecting it and they want it. And so you start doing it more and more. And I'm sure that Puck was just kind of looking at the body, what they've done, and said this would actually make a really great kind of trigger for this and a trigger for that. But also there's, you know, Puck is clearly somebody that spends a lot of time thinking about what matters to them and creating word that is, you know, consistent with ideas that matter. And it's just, it's just a funny experience seeing all of this. But I think at the end of the day, they just spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff and they are an expert in what they do. And, and because of that, they, they're able to design experiences that I think really respect their audience. And I think that if there's anything to be drawn from this, it's, it's not that Puck thinks we're all idiots. Puck thinks that we are lost poets that can rediscover something. And, and Puck knows the audience better than anyone. It's one of the things that, you know, would be the first article in my if i were to make it an nft consultancy it would be the first thing that would be written on the door it's like respect the culture and nobody respects the culture more than park i love that if you see, if you see people coming in they go oh i'm just going to make some money out of this but park doesn't do that they it's a very different journey you're on definitely and he ends up making money more than anyone who's in it for the money. So now that we've spoken about the past and the present, let's take a glimpse into the future. So, you know, and I need kind of to recap the situation of Lost Poets. So we were able to mint pages a few weeks ago and a couple of weeks uh, afterwards, we were able to turn our pages into poets. Now we're almost in Act 3 where we can feed our poets pages and name them and, and maybe create some poetry. Where do you see this project going and what do you think will be the final form of the project? You've mentioned the twist, but there will be uh, another act afterwards. Um, what, what do you think will be the final form or the final message of, of where we're going? So the, you're, you're, you're right to bring that up because the thing that I recognized when I was making the films was that I was spending so much time focused on the artworks themselves. I hadn't realized what was actually going on that I was literally buzzing when I got back to the script, that I was finding so much enjoyment in writing the film and in making the film and discovering stuff that I understood that that was the art, not the pieces themselves. And that there was my participation in the pieces was where the value lay. Now I know that's a really hard thing to, to kind of wrap your head around, but if, if you think about Puck not as an artist, but as a decentralized network, as the Bitcoin of imagination, then we can all be nodes on that network. We are, you know, the piece that kicks this all off is a film called The Node in which at the very beginning, there's an inscription about singularities. We are nodes on the PAT network if we, you know, participate in this thing. So the participation over the course of a year 
is the gift. That's the art. And what you, what I can imagine Puck hoping will happen is that there is no longer just Puck the artist. There are 65,000 of them or however many people. One of the startling discoveries I made was that there are 9,000 owners of Lost Poets. Now, that's not necessarily representative of unique owners, but it's a lot of owners. And if only half of them are actually unique, that would still make Puck the most decentralized network after Bitcoin. I mean, that's wild. That's absolutely insane. So if we start thinking about not Puck is the artist and we collect, no, we are all lost poets and we all create. And there's a there's a quote that I pulled up um, from Puck where I think it was from 2020. Puck says, create things that help you create, create tools and techniques. So this idea of infrastructure, this idea of creating the things that help people create is embedded into what Puck is doing. Then Lost Poets is that. Lost Poets is a set of tools and a set of techniques to allow people to create. And so just, you know, this idea of distributed imagination and distributed creativity that adds value to the human soul. There's a lot of talk about how this is a creative renaissance that we're in the middle of right now. And I fundamentally disagree with that because I don't think creation or the act of creativity was in need of renaissancing. But what I think is interesting is that Parker's 100% created a re renaissance in the value of individual human endeavor when it's so easy now to default to what we're asked to believe through filter bubbles. You know, everything is a fork. If you want to learn something, you go on YouTube and you just, you know, devour the simplest, quickest, easiest shortcut to stuff. You go and get the template for WordPress or, you know, you just download the quick and easy version. Puck asks you to do the work. But if you do do the work, as I did, then it's incredibly rewarding. Yeah, well, Robin, I thank you deeply for for coming on the ledger and explaining all what you've done but i also thank you to for your con contribution to the space and the added value you bring with your storytelling because man i enjoy your content and to everyone who's listening if you haven't watched robin's movies about pack but also covering a variety of different projects you know loot art blogs and everything they do on the defined but as well as school of blog i highly suggest you do because it's an added value to the space and we're, we're lucky to have you man no, thanks for having me. And I'm I'm looking forward to where we go next because I, I honestly don't know. It's going to be, uh, it's so tempting to just go down the rabbit hole with Park and, and get lost in the details. And you can totally do that. But I think what I tried to do with the films was really zoom out and and not focus on that, but more focus on what were the big ideas here. And and it was so satisfying to see that there were some big ideas and, and how deeply they were embedded into literally everything. Perfect way to end it. Thanks, man. Thank you. That's it. If you haven't watched the movies, I highly suggest you do. You can find them on YouTube and trust me when I say that they're worth your time. And if you want to explore crypto and NFTs, we've got you covered with Ledger Academy, School of Block, and we've also launched a brand new show called Down the Rabbit Hole. So be sure to check that out as well. This was On the Ledger from Paris with your host Mol Sayed. Till next time, take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.